0: we
1: Welcome to Weather Jazz, everybody, a world audience podcast about anything and everything, weather, science related, and periodically some interesting off topic episodes. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Berlinger. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 131 for Monday, November 23rd, 2020. Well, we recently received two wonderful questions from the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. And by the way, that number is 234 525 5888. I'll give it again at the back end of today's podcast just in case you want to give us a call. And in order to answer those two questions, I have called upon our morning meteorologist at WJW Television. Scott Sable, and he joined me earlier to discuss those two questions and the answers as well.
0: Scott, welcome back to Weather Jazz. Thank you very much, Andre. Good to be back. Well, it's been a couple of weeks now since we uh, talked about the winter outlook. Wasn't it late October, I believe?
1: That's right. That's right. And it, a very popular, as it as it always is, a very popular uh episode many many downloads not only from ohio mostly from ohio but from really across uh, this beautiful country of ours
0: that's good to hear very good to hear you know it's you know we learn something something new every day and and every season with doing these you know these these long-range outlooks and and hopefully there aren't any zingers here that come our way this year like we had the last couple years we'll see what happens well, we're going to count
1: on you to uh, keeping up on the very latest and, and the new parameters that come out. It seems like uh, there's one that comes out new every year, and uh, and it just adds to the arsenal. It's, it's not a, the, the main stuff. The main stuff we know,
0: but right. these little nuances are important. Very important. Very important. You know, it's like like we always say. It's like making your grandma's casserole. There's always a main, main ingredient. But there's always one little ingredient that, if you just don't do it right, it doesn't taste right. And that's kind of what happens with seasonal outlooks. unless you have some sort of big ingredient that overwhelms everything else. those little ones can 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 be grossly underestimated.
1: and uh, we're we're trying to make them not uh, secret ingredients, right', I mean, right we're, exactly. trying, we're trying to uncover them it's it's right. like uh, like trying to figure out, okay,
0: Grandma won't tell me what's in this, so we have to figure it out. Right, exactly. And, you know, luckily there's a lot of stuff online and, and a lot of great, uh, great research done. A lot of it's posted on Twitter. And I always tell people, and this is how I got started in these long-range outlooks, and I think you did the same. You know, I call it reverse engineering. If you see something on Twitter that kind of like perks your ears up, it's like, wait a minute, I've never heard of this before. Do research on it. Google mm-hmm. it. Go mm-hmm. back. Send a message to somebody on Twitter who happened to post that. Say, hey, where did you get that data? can can you release it to me where can i find more information you know re- reverse engineer it and then go back and take all that information and then use that operationally in creating your own outlooks right
1: right very cool well uh, we'll uh, kind of give this whole thing a uh, uh, a look see to see how we've done uh, perhaps as we approach february 1st and mm-hmm. we'll do this again and those of you that listen to weather jazz you can count on that episode right around February 1st or so.
0: Absolutely. Looking forward to it.
1: Scott, we've got two questions, listener questions from the weather jazz podcast connect line, and I'll give the telephone number uh, at the back end of the episode, just in case you have a question or a comment that uh, you would like to offer up Uh, that uh, comment line is always up and available and ready to record your voice. And so this is the first uh, voice, and uh, we'll drop this in so everybody can hear it, and then we'll talk about it. So here's the first question. Hi, this is Sarah from Brook Park. My dad and I were at the Windy
0: Browns game the other day, and we were wondering what causes the wind and why is it so windy? Thank you.
1: All right. Well, there you have it. It's Sarah from Brook Park. And I heard from her via her father on Twitter, and you can see their picture uh, that they snapped. They snapped a selfie at Cleveland Brown Stadium. And uh, her father said, uh, this would be a great question for Andre and Weather Jazz. And so I thought, I'm going to bring Scott in here, too, so we can have two weather nerds talking about wind. Uh, and we'll get into some of the specifics of some of the wind and the eddies that occur at Cleveland Browns Stadium. But before we do that, I think it's important to talk about what wind is and how wind even gets going on the earth. Uh, Scott, uh, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, start us off?
0: You know, it, it will, most of it has to do with pressure differences. Um, you know, you if you... If you have, say, in one one part of Ohio, for instance, locally here, uh, the pressure is, you know, at a certain level, and then you go into western Ohio, for instance, and the pressure is higher, you know, when you start having those big pressure differences over a small area, uh, in essence, what that does is it kind of piles up the air, and and it can cause, uh, in essence, it causes wind. That's one of the parameters we look at when we do an analysis. We look at pressure, and when the pressure lines on a weather map are much closer together, that's an indication of much stronger wind. But, Andre, there's another component, too, that, that you know, is very difficult to visualize, but it has to do with the Earth being round and mm-hmm. what we call And we're getting a little technical here, but the Coriolis effect, right? Can you explain the Coriolis effect and kind of how that plays a role in weather systems and the wind? And uh, I'm even going
1: to back up one more notch from there and take your sphere and say that if we didn't have the sun, we wouldn't have wind there you go very true. the uh, the sun causes unequal heating obviously with the sun stronger at the equatorial regions you're going to have a lot more heat built up there as opposed to at both poles which have a higher angle of the sun or i'm sorry a lower angle of the sun and therefore less direct less heating Mm -hmm. so because it's warm At the equator and cold at the poles, the warm wants to migrate up to the poles and the cold wants to migrate down towards the equator. The Earth doesn't like it Mm -hmm. when it's in imbalance, when you have that imbalance of heat versus cold. So the air starts to move. Of course, we've got the, the, uh, the globe and the globe is spinning. So now you're adding, as you mentioned, the Coriolis force. And the Coriolis force, just imagine, if you will, uh, and this is a great analogy we got uh, in Meteorology 101, is if you envision an old-fashioned record player, the kind where a vinyl disc was going around and around and around, and you took a piece of chalk while the record was going around and around, and you uh, took that chalk and pulled it straight toward you. While the record was going around, well, the line isn't going to be straight. Right. The line will be curved. So that's the Coriolis force, uh, of course, to us on the Earth. Uh, The wind appears to be always going off uh, in in a uh, clockwise or counterclockwise direction dependent on... The direction of uh, the wind, whether it's coming out of high pressure or into low pressure. So you're, you're going to start to get circulation. So you get these low pressure systems and high pressure systems. If the Earth wasn't moving, we would just get this massive exchange in a linear direction. Right. But that exactly. doesn't happen. So you've got the curved surface.
0: Pick it exactly up from top. there. Right, right. And you also have, too, on top of that friction, you know, the Earth isn't a completely smooth surface. So mm. you end up having, you know, wind typically is stronger over the ocean because there isn't much friction, right? It's relatively smooth compared to the land and you end up getting that wind hitting land. And if it might hit a mountain and it might get piled up on one side and it might be shifted and, and skewed, um, mm. you know, so, so the land masses and, the, uh, and where they're positioned also has a, uh, is a significant factor in that too. Um, what your, uh, what your uh, caller had mentioned, too, I believe one of the other elements was the Browns game, right? It always seems like it's windy, you know, down at, um, uh, down at Cleveland Stadium, whether it was the old place where I grew up going to games, Indians games and Browns games or this one. It always seems like it's at least this time of year, right, when we get into late October, November, December, right. it's always windy. Right. And, you know, we talk about friction, right? We, the wind comes in off the lake, typically out of the western northwest this time of year. It, it picks up steam, and all of a sudden it hits land, and then it hits this, literally this this soup bowl of a stadium, and you talked about, too, these eddies or these little um, changes and these little spot, spin-ups of wind that can occur locally um, in and around Brown Stadium. And it's kind of like this. I remember growing up, there was a little corner of the school, like where we would have recess, where the, where the walls would, would, would come together, and there was always this swirling wind that would pick up the leaves that almost looked like a little mini tornado that would pick up the leaves. That's kind of a description or a, 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 an example of an eddy, right? You can get these little mini localized swirls. And a lot of times, well, all, all the time, it seems like that happens at Cleveland Brown stadium this time of year. So, you know, if you're at the wrong portion of the stadium where those, those little eddies or little swirls start up, man, you, you, you feel it really
1: quick. Mm-hmm. So uh, we get to, right down to the bottom line. A, it starts with the sun. So, Sarah, you can blame the sun, but then again, without the sun, this would be a very uh, inhospitable planet. <laughs> That's so, very
0: true. Yeah. Hey, You know what, Andre, I got one more thing to add. I was sure, go for it. Because I was looking up um, one of these little projects I kind of got down the rabbit hole on. I was looking up all the Cleveland Browns home games in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. and I was looking and cross-referencing – The wind speeds at game time for all these games. And of course, you know how I am when I get into a project, sometimes the project, oh, it'll be easy. Well, this wasn't really easy because you can't find wind information for hour by hour. So uh, I downloaded all of the hourly observations for all the Sundays since the year 2000. And I was looking it up because this year we've had two games, right? We had the game, uh, we've had two games this year where the winds were, you know, gusting it. for 35, 45, near 50 miles an hour. And I've had some people messaging me, what's the deal with this wind? Mm-hmm. Um, it is a little unusual. Um, looking back, this is only maybe a handful of times where we have had wind gusts at 30 to 35 miles an hour uh, at Brown Stadium during a home game in the last 20 years. And to have them, you know, like we've had in the last couple of weeks, almost back to back weeks or, or every other week, you know, I can't find an instance where that's happened since the Browns came back in 1999. Wow. Years ago during Browns games, at least during my research. And again, I didn't go back to the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but at least in recent history, this is a little unusual.
1: And uh, so that's probably one of uh, the Sundays that Sarah and her father were at Browns Stadium. And it kind of piqued the attention of, of Sarah wondering right, exactly. hey, what what gives with the wind and they may have been in a part of the stadium Uh, as you mentioned, just like that little corner of the schoolyard that happens to focus the wind and really kind of accent it a little bit.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting because now of course we're recording this on a, On a Sunday, too, when the Browns are playing, and guess what? It's raining, (laughs) and it's 37 degrees outside, so it's Mm -hmm. like at least the Browns here in Cleveland can't get a break with home game weather.
1: (laughs) We need a dome, at least.
0: Right, right. They were going to build that back in the mid-'80s, and then that whole idea fell apart, but that's a story for another time. All right. Well, we have one more question uh, that we're going to
1: tackle here today. It's our second one. This one comes to the Weather Jazz's very first supporter, Christine Barnes from Medina. She is a Weather Jazz podcast supporter, and uh, she uh, ended up uh, a little concerned when we had a long stretch of November mild weather. Here is her question. Hi, Andre. Christine Barnes in Medina, and I'm just calling for a little weather assurance, I guess. I heard Scott Sable say that um, the last time we had a stretch of wonderful weather in November was in 1977, and we were thinking that uh, at that time, wow, we were going to have the greatest, best, lightest winter of all time, and that was followed with the blizzard of 77-78. So I guess I'm just calling to um, get some assurance that there isn't anything like that in our future because this is an absolute beautiful day the high of 77 today is uh, november 8th and it's just been a beautiful stretch of weather that's just what i'm just calling for thank you bye all right christine actually talked about you scott uh, she recorded that message to us on november the 8th and oh, that yeah. was yeah, at the end of the really long stretch of with highs in the 70s, and mm-hmm. and she mentioned that you uh, mentioned on the air the last time that happened, we had the blizzard of 77-78. So let's mm-hmm. talk about correlation, uh, and sometimes it works, but sometimes it really doesn't. I'll let you go ahead and, and elaborate since uh, you are the one who brought that to light, that uh, the last time we had that long November stretch. Was mm-hmm. back yeah, and, the, and I, I always
0: hesitate. I'm sorry, I always hesitate when I when I um, mention key years like that, because it always triggers memories, right? We have the mm-hmm. big snows, the blizzard of 78, and it always, you know, I always talk about the psychology of weather. Well, that usually uh, evokes so much of an emotional response, especially if you live through some of those brutal winters. Uh, but yeah, um, the last time we had a, a, a stretch this warm, all right? so when we look at the average temperatures, uh, the last time we had a stretch that warm was back in 1977. We had another one back in, in the 50s too, which we talked about on the air with the consecutive 70-degree uh, days. But yeah, it was interesting because a lot of people were drawing comparisons. Oh, wait a minute, November 77. We know what happened in January 78. But like you mentioned, Andre, sometimes... You know, correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. And what that basically means is simply because that that happened in a year where we had a lot of snow doesn't necessarily mean that that warmth was the main driver of the culprit of that blizzard that came later on down the line. Uh, You know, and and this goes for any season. You know, we could have a big rainy stretch in spring. It doesn't necessarily mean the rest of the summer will be that way. Or if we have a 90 in May, it doesn't mean the rest of the summer will be hot. You know, it's the same kind of thing back in May when we had that snow back in the middle of May. Right, people thought, oh, right. shut down. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That didn't happen. With the switch flipped. So, um, but yeah, it was an interesting year back in uh, November 77. And, and people have to remember, too, that that was a different time. That was more than 40 years ago. And the drivers of that winter were far different than the drivers that we're looking at for this winter. So it's an apples to orange, orange comparison. Um, but we, you know, we don't get a lot of blizzards around here. Traditionally, we get a lot of those lake effect events, but to get something like we had back in the late seventies, you know, it's, um, that hasn't happened in a long time. So I guess the big question, Andre, we've been talking about this before, you know, what do you think? Do you think this is a year where we could maybe see something spin up that might be even remotely close?
1: probably unlikely and uh so i'm in the same camp you can't use very specific events like that to project what we are going to see in a repeat Uh, sometimes it happens granted Mm -hmm. but sometimes in fact most of the time really it doesn't because there are so many many parameters that go into uh that kind of uh of pattern uh dictation if you will Mm -hmm. um but this year, I'm still looking at kind of a quiet start to winter. December still looks like it's going to be okay. And then I think if we get lulled into thinking that the whole winter is going to be like that, I think we're going to be surprised right in the middle. The, it's still looking like that, that middle part, somewhere between January 12th and February 14th. We could be in for three or four very rough weeks mm-hmm. before we jump out of that. Um, still, still looking at that, uh, and it's still holding water for the moment. Mm-hmm. Are you still seeing the same thing?
0: Still seeing the same thing. You know, the, One of the things we look at, of course, and it's been kind of a catchphrase, is the polar vortex. You know, right. it's, it's nothing that, that's nothing new. It's always been around. Um, but there are some indications that that is still very strong, meaning it's locked up over the North Pole, and there doesn't seem to be any sign of that breaking off anytime soon. Typically, that usually doesn't happen until the, after the first of the year anyway, but at least, you know, at least in the next several weeks, looking into early to mid-December, um, you know, we could see some cold, and we could see some snow, but to get anything brutal, the chances seem to be pretty small at this point, but We'll see how it works out, but yeah, we're still looking at probably this winter being kind of a backloaded winter, November, December, kind of sort of little teasers, and then, you know, deeper into the winter we go, probably a a much higher opportunity. I'll usually, usually this time of year, I start tweeting out some, you know, numbers like, uh, for instance, how much snow do we get between Thanksgiving and Christmas, or, you know, how many, how many days do we have with snow on the ground? I'll be putting that stuff out probably later on this week. So, um, and I'll send it to you, Andre, and, uh, you know, we can post that so people can get a kind of a historical marker or perspective as we uh, head into the holidays. Are you going to post that to your weather blog? Um, My weather blog as well, yeah. A lot of times I've been Mm -hmm. posting stuff on Twitter, and then I kind of forgot to forget about it. So I'll post it on my weather blog as well. So I have it all all covered, and then, uh, you know, people can take that and run with it.
1: What I will do then is I will, on uh, weatherjazz.com episode number 131, the show notes on weatherjazz.com, I'll post a link to your weather blog, and you always have some interesting things that you post there periodically uh, from time to time. Uh, We always call you the stats guy because I just don't know how you do it, how you're able to just dig up so much information in such a short period of time because your hits in the morning, as I remember, are eight minutes apart. Mm-hmm. They Every are.
0: Second, eight minutes. Every eight minutes or six hours. <laughs> and it's and it, mm-hmm. you know, the morning show continues to expand. And um, but you know what, it kind of keeps me going because you know, sometimes I get bored easily. Not that not that the morning show's bored, but sometimes I'll go, Wait a minute, wait a minute, how about that? That would be mm-hmm. an interesting mm-hmm. tidbit. I wonder where that is. And then I'll go dig it up and you kind of get into a routine and you know where to look and if you know where to look and you have a little bit of time to do it you can there's a lot of good stuff out there a lot of a lot of people have um and luckily you know i i've been able to explore it and, and utilize it for everybody and, and, and share it but we'll see you know it's we'll, we'll see what happens here see what we can dig up as we uh head into the heart of winter
1: I have one more question before we wrap up today. Sure. And, and this is actually mine uh, because uh, I did the morning show for 19 years. Uh, mm-hmm. The first 19 years of the morning show on Fox eight and the first morning show ever in the Cleveland market back in uh, 1988. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course the, the, um, the, uh, the coffee quiz started on that very first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would go to the library way before the internet ever existed, and uh, usually spend a couple hours every Saturday or Sunday just perusing all kinds of uh, interesting reference books and trying to look up interesting things for the coffee quiz, sometimes weather, sometimes science, sometimes just goofy things. Obviously, with the advent of the internet, uh, you must use the internet and maybe some search tools for Uh, some subject matter for
0: the coffee quiz how do you do it now yep that's exactly right you know it's funny my and and I'm sure you did the same thing you know my rules of thumb for the coffee quiz are this is it interesting to people for the general Mm -hmm. public Mm -hmm. Uh, is it is it weather is it have something to do with weather and is it some? and and is the weather that I'm uh, trying to uh, mention the coffee quiz is that currently ongoing so is it weather worthy and is it newsworthy that way people, you know, it's a water cooler topic or, or if it is to me, it becomes, um, you know, um, you know, a really good uh, question or a good topic. I try not to get too self-indulgent because there's some topics I love that I'll, 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 I'll pose a question and I'm like, Ooh, that just, that, that kind of self kind of fell flat. Um, um. So, so, that's good. But I use the internet all the time. Um, you know, sometimes it'll be something goofy. Sometimes it'll be something. I, I, for instance, some of our anchors love certain questions or certain subject matter, and I know that they may or may not know the answer. So there's certain topics that we will throw back and forth, and um, you know, knowing that it might get a laugh um, or an inside joke. So that's usually what I do. Um, you know, we 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 try to keep it as as interesting as possible, and and if someone comes out of the coffee quiz after and go, oh, that, that was interesting. I didn't know that. Make sure it was somebody that I knew I did my job. Excellent.
1: Uh, and I, uh, I actually lied. I have a fourth question, which actually okay. came, came up uh, out of the answer of your third answer here. Do you have one favorite coffee quiz that uh, you gave uh, to the audience?
0: Yes, yes. And it is, okay. So the skin on your elbow Okay, Mm -hmm. if you pinch your skin on your elbow, you'll notice you can pinch it, and there's there's no nerve endings. And my sister-in-law is a nurse. She goes, "Yeah, you know what that's called?" And I said, "No, I don't know." She says, "It's called your weenus." (laughs) W e e, and I said, "What? Say that again?" She goes, "Yeah, that's what it's called." I go, "No." She goes, "Yeah, look it up." So we looked it up online in a reputable source, and sure enough, that's what it was. Wow. So so I go ahead and I mention it to uh, my boss. And I said, look, this is a copy question. I think it would be great. I think the anchors would crack up. Can I use it? Because of the name, it's a little, you know, if, you, if you're not paying attention, you're thinking I'm, you know, saying something inappropriate. He goes, well, let's look it up. He goes, yeah, I think that would be great. So we, we mentioned that and they were dying laughing. And I got oh so much um, uh, feedback from that and, in, in a good way. And we probably chuckled about that for a week on the air. And that was probably the, my, my, my favorite one. And even now, this is probably six, seven years ago, um, you know, they still, the anchors will bring, you go, you're going to bring up that question again? Ha ha, you know, kind of, so that was, that was probably my, my favorite and most memorable one. Wow. How do you spell that? I think it's W-E-E-N-I-S, I believe.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Or, uh, uh, or you, you're going to have a lot of people looking it up all of a sudden that are yeah, listening to this podcast.
0: Exactly. So, um, so yeah, so, we try to yeah. push the envelope a little bit sometimes.
1: Yeah. If you haven't had a cup of coffee and I, I had heard that I would have shaken my head and going, well, what was that again? What <laughs> were some of the choices? Uh, obviously, you, the choices must have been real interesting.
0: Oh, they Do you were. Remember what what they were? Oh boy! And I would say, I think the question was posed: "What is your weenus?" That's what I. And then that was okay. Elbow, and then of course that just got everybody going. It was like your elbow, your uh, your ear. Um, you know, it was just different. You know, it, it was your hair falling out, stuff like that, and uh, mm-hmm. the fact that I had. It was it it was fun. It was just general. I general, you know, ear, elbow, your toe. Is it your pinky toe? Your pinky, whatever. That's kind of how I uh, the choice is how I phrased it. I wanted to phrase it in just a way where it was kind of a an ear catcher, and and it was. Well,
1: I may have to put uh, flag this uh, weather jazz episode as uh, one of the. Quote explicit ones because sometimes you have to <laughs> you have to hit the e to yeah. to make sure that people are well not not really of course right. I'm just uh, having a little fun with that but uh, obviously some may say you should have made that explicit uh, at any rate uh, thank you so much for sharing that and no thanks for for being on Weather Jazz again and uh, of course we're going to have you back in early February but uh, maybe even before if you. As I always tell all of the participants, if ever you come up with something that sounds or looks interesting, or you think would interest the the audience, let me know, and mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll fire up the microphones and uh, we'll get it out there.
0: You got it, Andre. Have a great day.
1: Go Browns. Go Browns, indeed. They're now seven and three. Can you beat that? First time since nineteen ninety four. And it does feel very, very good. Of course, Scott could have told us that because not only is he into sports, he's into all kinds of stats and statistical data. And it makes for some interesting chatter sometimes. And we're going to have Scott back, as we mentioned, at the very least uh, right around February 1st and probably well before then, because there's always something interesting to talk about in the atmosphere. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I would love it if you would help to spread the word about this podcast. Inside your sphere of influence, there's nothing like word of mouth, either on social media or by direct contact, emails, whatever, and get the word out. Weather Jazz is the place to be if you're into weather, science, and all that uh, great stuff. Or, as I like to say, all that jazz. Well, special thanks to those of you who have partnered to support Weather Jazz to further expand future episodes and the frequency and the topics covered They include Christine Barnes, Ohio. We heard from her today, and we're certainly grateful for your contribution and your question. It was a great question. Bill Martin in Florida, Andrea Rich in Tennessee, Neil and Don Manassa in Virginia, and O'Keefe's maker of Working Hands and Healthy Feet. And if you would like to partner with Weather Jazz, consider becoming a monthly Weather Jazz supporter. You're going to find the link at the bottom of every episode at weatherjazz.com. And of course, if you have a question, a topic suggestion, overall, you just want to call and give us your input. Well, you can easily reach me at weatherjazz at com, And now, also via text or voicemail at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, the number 234-525-5888. Again, that's 234-525-5888. And that sounds like it needs to go in some kind of jingle, so... Uh, You know what? I think maybe we'll work on that. Hey, if you're listening to Weather Jazz via one of the many podcast apps out there, remember to subscribe so that you can automatically download every episode as I make them available. And if you're in the Cleveland, Ohio area or plan to visit or simply traveling through. You can catch my 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. weekday weather segments on WJW Television Fox 8 or online live at fox8.com from anywhere in the world. And if you have a Twitter or Instagram account, you can follow me at Andre Bernier or on Facebook by looking for the Weather Jazz podcast page. I am also now on Parlor and Rumble as well. I want to make sure I'm covering all those bases. And we'll see you soon with another engaging episode right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe.
0: just pa-